Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, uh, we do want to welcome you to our church. I know the beginning of the year is like a fresh start. Many of you think, hey, it's time to go back to church. And listen, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, we're glad that you are here with us. We want to help you connect to what God is doing here at Phoenix Bible Church. If you are a college student, ASU, GCU student, you should be back, right? Right? You guys here? Okay, there you go. Somebody did a lopes up, so I see you guys. Um, Welcome back. We always love it when you guys come back. There is a new sense of energy in the room. Uh, and so we love it that you guys are back and excited to get, to get you connected as well. Today we start a new series on prayer. In fact, it's our first series of the year. It's called Pray First. And what we're talking about, as you can see on the graphic, is that we want to pray first in all circumstances. Today we're going to talk about praying first in our joy Next week, that our, our, our pain, our confusion, our need, that we want to pray first, no matter the circumstance, that that would be the first thing we go to. And so that's the series that we're jumping into today. And, and we want you to do a few things to, to really get the most out of this. One of those things is called fasting. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've alluded to this, mentioned this, but we want to collectively as a church, as we decide to pray first and commit to do that together as a body of Christ, that we would fast from something else so that we could pray first, right? And so something like food, a particular time of the day eating food, something like social media, radio that you listen to in your car, Netflix that you binge watch every night, that you would think about specifically, even now, you would start churning and think about what are the things in my life that, that grab a hold of my affections? What are the things in my life that, that grab a hold of my attention consistently? And maybe that is just something as simple as when you get in the car, you flip on sports radio. And that you would, and not just remove that, and not just remove food or sports radio or social media, but that you would replace it with God with talking to God, that you would remove something so you can replace it with God. And so I can't tell you what that should be for you. You need to process what that is for you. But our hope is during this time is that God would do a mighty work in us and through us as a church as we seek his face. And so we have some tools to help you with that. Uh, one is just quite simply the bulletin that you received when you walked in this room. Uh, that we would want you to take notes. You can open that to the middle. You can take notes throughout this series, throughout this sermon today. Uh, you can also, on that bulletin on the right-hand side, there's a, a tear-off perforated card called our Connect card. If you're new with us, this is what you should fill out as your first step to get plugged into our church. But even if you're not new, there's a place for prayer requests, and you can invite us to pray for you. And so you can participate in this series in that way. Uh, the second way is our prayer guide. All of you hopefully should have gotten one of these. Did you get one of these when you walked in? One of you did. Okay. All right. So on the way out, we need to make sure. Can somebody help me make sure we get everyone one of these prayer guides? Uh, because really this is something I'm really excited about. I think it's one of the most special things we've done as a church. This is written by our church for our church. And so when you do get one, you're going to pick it up and you're going to see all the themes that we're going to talk about, joy, pain, need, confusion. And Monday through Friday, there's a prayer written by someone in our church along with a verse that corresponds with that. And so some of you are thinking, we're going to spend the next month praying and fasting like I'm new to this thing. I don't know how to articulate my thoughts. I'm not a prayer kind of person. This is going to help you. You're going to get to see real live people who have struggles and pain and joy 
You're going to get to read their prayers. You can read them yourself to God as a prayer to God. You can personalize it. That we invite you to, during the week, Monday through Friday, go through this prayer guide with us. So let's get one on the way out. I know they're in a box right by the door, so just grab one. We'll be there at the back and make sure that you get one of these. We want to help uh, us together grow in our prayer lives as we start the year. At the end of this, we're going to hear stories. And so I'm going to ask a few of you at the end of this to share what God did in your life through fasting, through prayer, through this prayer guide. And so I'm excited, expectant about how God would move. Uh, You know, as you think about prayer, it's really like exercise. Uh, We know it works, but we often don't do it. Right as we start the year, a lot of you made plans and New Year's resolutions to exercise, to change your diet, right? I think I read a study that said New Year's resolutions typically, on average, last about 10 days. So maybe if you guys are keeping them still at this point, 15 days in, you've already killed your resolutions. You're doing great, right? But for most people, we think about, I need, to, I need to exercise. Because at the very least, I know it's healthy, right? I know it works. But somehow we can't make it to the gym, right? Anybody feel that as we start the year? Prayer is often like that, right? Even as we start this series... I know everybody in here is not even a Christian, but I would imagine if I asked for a show of hands, hey, is prayer important in life? I would see almost every hand raised. We would all agree with that. But if I followed that up with prayer is important, but does your life reflect its importance? Raise your hand. I imagine there would be a little bit less hands raised, maybe some half hands raised, because we would think about our life and think, Does my life reflect the importance of prayer? Like, is my prayer life amazing? Is it what I go to on a good day or a bad day? Is it the first thing I go to? Or do I go to everything else and wait for a crisis and then pray? Do our prayer lives reflect what we believe about prayer, that it is important, that it's talking to God? Listen, uh, today and this year, as you examine your spiritual life, you need to ask yourself, do I really believe this? Like Nick said it great as we started the service. We, we do this every Sunday. It's a routine for us. And maybe some of you have done this since you were little. It's a routine. You come to church. You sing songs about God. You look at God's word. You stand. You sit. You pray to God. But you have no concept of what that really means. The magnitude of that truth. That the God of the universe, the creator and the sustainer of all things has invited you into his presence to talk to him, that you don't need a priest, that Jesus is your high priest, that he's your mediator. And so listen, you can pray in here, you can pray standing, you can pray seated, you can pray in your car on the way home, you can pray in your bathroom, in the shower, you have full access to the God, the creator and sustainer of all things. Do you see that? And so I hope at the very least during this series, you come to grips with, do I really believe that? Or is it something I just say? If they took a poll, I would say, sure, that's what it is and it's important, but my life doesn't reflect that. Listen, we have to come to grips with, do we really believe this? Because if we believe it, we will live it, right? And so that's my hope and prayer for you as we start this. If you're not convinced yet, I just want to give you Some of the privilege and the power of prayer. Just to read some statements off to you and that you would meditate on these and and, and think, do I see this in my life? That 
First, prayer helps us see reality from God's point of view. It helps us put on his lenses and see all of creation from his point of view. The second thing, prayer helps us recognize our need. Prayer helps us realize the joy and obedience. Prayer is how we delight in God. Prayer is the conduit for forgiveness, healing, and boldness. Prayer makes clear the value of eternal versus earthly desires. Prayer brings about repentance. Prayer cultivates a thankful heart for all that we've been given in Christ. Prayer is the means by which we fight evil and spiritual warfare. Prayer is how God empowers the mission of God. Prayer pleases God. Prayer is talking to the God of the universe. Prayer is tapping into the power of God's presence. Prayer is our privilege. Prayer is our power. If you know Jesus, that's what you have access to. Not just this year, not just this month, but every year and every month of your life. And so we want to take advantage of that. And as we start this series and look at prayer, we're going to look to Jesus. Right? He's a good model for our prayer lives. And Luke chapter 10, if you don't have a Bible, we should have a black one near you. Grab that. You can look on the screen, open an app. We want you to look at Scripture yourself. What we see is this little prayer by Jesus. And, and I need to give you some context. Earlier in chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 of his followers on mission. And so they go out and preach his kingdom and heal people of demons, and they come back right before this passage that we're in this morning, and they're excited. And they come back, and they're rejoicing, it says, right before this passage, and that they have power over even demons in the name of Jesus. And Jesus does something really interesting. They're really excited about this newfound power, but he, re he redirects their rejoicing and says, hey, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in that your names are written in heaven. And so Jesus is framing up their rejoicing that, yes, this power that you have is incredible, that I gave you that, but you need to rejoice that eternally you are known by me, that your names are written in heaven, that you are secure, your position is secure, that I know you and you know me, that you have a relationship with me, that that should be rejoiced above and over everything else in your life. And he tells his followers to do that, and then he displays it himself. He rejoices it himself, in himself uh, in the very next verse, verse 21, that we just read. It says this, look at the verse. It says, in that same hour, he, that's Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. That's the third person of the Trinity. In fact, it's interesting, just in these few verses, you see the whole Trinity. If you pay attention, you see Jesus, Son of God, praying to God the Father, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. You see the full Trinity just in these few verses. And Jesus is rejoicing, and then he prays. And what I love about this is as Jesus rejoices, the first thing he does is pray. Do you see that in the text? He rejoices in the spirit, and then he started talking to God. He said, I thank you, Father. Now remember, just look at this scene. He was just talking to his followers. He sent out 72 just a little bit ago. I don't know if they're all still there, just a few of them are still there, but he's around people. He's having conversations. So if you can just picture that scene, that's what Jesus is doing. And then he stops and immediately starts talking to God. And just a few verses later, we, we see he, he turns and faces his disciples and begins to talk to them. And so Jesus is in the midst of conversation, in the midst of people, and he stops and he prays right there. 
Do you know anyone like that? They just start praying spontaneously, and you're not sure, like, are you talking to me? Are you talking to somebody else? Should I make a phone call? Are you okay? Uh, I have some, some friends like this that I, I met in college. In fact, I, I've mentioned them before. Their names are Butch and Marshall. And uh, yes, that's true. My, my best man, my best friend in college, his name was Butch. So I'll just let you meditate on that for a little while and what that says about me. But Butch and Marshall, we, we would get together in college and just sit together and pray together. And it started to be a rhythm in our lives. And, and Butch specifically would just lead this charge that, hey, we need to pray in all circumstances. That's what First Thess- Thessalonians 5 says. That we would pray without ceasing. And so we need to do that. And so we're just kids in college and we're driving down the road talking about our day talking about the girl who wouldn't talk to us, you know, real lofty, important things. And and as we would talk about this, Butch would always be like, we we should pray about that. And as the days would go by and this became to be a regular rhythm in our lives, it wouldn't be, we should pray about that. Immediately, Butch would just say, Father, we thank you for Tim's day and his grade and his class and this relationship he's just started and in a struggle, in a moment, he would say, hey, Father, we, we just lift this up to you. And, and again, I'm just talking and sitting there, and he's driving, and so it's, I'm worried about our safety as he's praying, right? But he just starts talking to God, and that became a regular rhythm in our lives. I have some friends like that now, some older pastors in the city of Phoenix that I meet with, and they pray spontaneously without ceasing. And as we sit and we talk about things going on in our churches, in our lives, they just stop and they just start praying to God. And even in a set time that we sit in a circle and we pray intentionally, I'm expecting, just because this is what I'm used to, I'm expecting, okay, you start, we're going to popcorn it, right? And then you'll close us at the end. It's very formal and structured. But they don't do that. They just start praying. And sometimes, listen, sometimes they pause in the middle of their prayer, and I look up like, are we done? Can I leave? Is it over? And then they'll just pick back up and start praying again. And and I say all that. There's no right or wrong way to pray. But I say all that because prayer is a conversation, not just crisis, right? Many times for most of us, prayer is in the midst of crisis when everything crumbles. But what you see is just Jesus displays this as prayer is the first thing you do. It's a conversation with God that Jesus gets what I explained to you earlier, that he has access to God the Father. And so he goes to him in prayer even as he rejoices. And that should be our model as well. I learned so much from people like that. I hope you have people like that in your life. I hope you're learning from Jesus that prayer is a first priority, not a last resort. That Jesus puts this on display better than anyone else. And in Luke 10, he does it in his joy. And so we need to ask, what gives Jesus joy? Look at the text with me. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. I'm just going to give you two things that we see in these verses of what gives Jesus joy. The first thing is gracious revelation. Look at the second half of verse 21. It says, he's revealed himself to little children. That could literally be children or that could be people with childlike faith. And it says, according to his gracious will that he does this. The first half of that verse, though, he says something different. Look at the verse. He said, to the wise and understanding, he's hidden these things, these things of himself. There's eternal salvation. And so you should be asking, and maybe especially if you're new to church and skeptical of this thing, you should be asking, so so is Jesus saying that smart people can't go to heaven? 
that smart people and intellectual people, educated people, that, that they can't go to heaven? Is that, is that what he's saying? They can't know God? Well, no. What you have to realize is that in this Jewish culture, in this context, that only the elite could know God. That the perception was that you had to be a Pharisee. You guys have heard of them in the Gospels. Jesus talks to them a lot, not always kindly. That you had to be a teacher of the law. You had to get some training that those people could know God and maybe not everybody else. And so what Jesus is saying, he's pointing out, is that God is available for everyone. That he graciously reveals himself. That, that knowledge, that understanding, that wisdom isn't bad but it needs to be softened so you understand God's understanding, so you understand his wisdom. I think about Proverbs 3. It says, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes. And so Jesus is making the point that if you think you know everything, you're going to have a hard time having God reveal himself to you. If you think your lens is the most accurate in life and that all of creation fits into your lens, and you never set that lens down and put on the lens of God and see through his eyes and align your mind and your heart with his, that you won't receive the gracious revelation of God. And so listen, as we talk about prayer, some of you are thinking, so I got to say the right words. I got to know the right things so I can articulate these eloquent prayers. You don't need a a wisdom, a man-made wisdom and understanding to talk to God or to know God. You need to have your heart softened by him, knowing there's things you don't know, right? And putting on that lens and saying, God, help us to see what you see and come to God as a child. Do you know how you receive God's gracious revelation? You, You come at it like a child, that you know that you need him, right? So this morning, you can... Receive God's gracious revelation as you realize your need for him. Uh, Yesterday, we went to this parenting conference. Some other couples in this room went to this parenting conference in Gilbert, and we participated in that together, and we learned lots of things. And one of the things that stuck out to me was Paul Tripp, the speaker, just said this. He said, moms, your daughters need you. He said, fathers, your sons need you. And he wasn't just talking about they they need us for personal hygiene, right? He wasn't just talking about they need us to help them brush their teeth or eat their vegetables or drink plenty of water. He was talking about in the little moments of the day, they, they need us because they're children and they don't know everything yet. They don't understand everything yet. Now, sometimes we think they understand and just act like they don't. But most of the time, that's when we have to train our children up in the way of the Lord because they don't know how to do that yet. And so our our kids need us. And what Jesus is describing is a need for him as he graciously reveals himself to us. So even last night, my four-year-old son, I have three kids. My four-year-old son, I come into the living room, and my son is really getting excited about football, which is like dream realized for me because I love football. And I don't know if you saw my kids. They're the one with the Cowboys jerseys on this morning. So we're really nervous about that game and praying first before that game. But yesterday, the Patriots or some other game nonsense is on. And I walk in the living room, and my son has pulled up our ottoman right next to the TV. And he's just sitting there watching this game. He's got his jersey on, and he's got his big blue headphones on. 
And I, I look, and I don't know that we have, like, the tech, technical ability to connect headphones to a TV. So I'm like, did my son figure this out? Maybe he is wise and has understanding. But I look, and he's put the, the headphone jack in a little hole where a screw goes in the back of the TV. And somehow he got it to stay there. Uh, that was genius. I, I don't know how he got it to stay there. He just has it positioned, and he's sitting there. There's no audio coming through the headphones. But he's just sitting there, and so I, I just I wanted to cry because that was an amazing moment as a, as a dad who wants his kid to like football. But I, I took the end of the headphone jack, and I did find an input, and I plugged it in, and he was able to listen to the game. But listen, I had to show him how to do that. I had to train him up and how to do that. He doesn't have understanding. And not just plugging in a headphone jack. Listen, our world doesn't have understanding. Just read CNN.com. Just scroll through your news feed on Facebook. Our world is in peril. It's insane. Uh, We're taking things that God created that go here, that go in this jack, that go in this input, and we're putting them all kinds of different places. We're doing that with our sexuality. We're doing that with our finances. We're doing that with our relationships. We're doing that with our spirituality. We think we know everything, and we're blind. And so what Jesus is pointing out is that we need to have a need like a child, that God and his grace will reveal himself to us when we come to him like that. We don't know everything. Just look around. We don't know everything. We need his knowledge and his wisdom. When we get that, then he will graciously reveal himself to us. That should give us joy. That's what gives Jesus joy. The second thing, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. That gives Jesus joy is loving authority. If you really pay attention to these two verses, what you see in these two sentences is that as Jesus talks to God, he says, Father, five times. He says, Father, 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 Father. In two verses, two sentences, Jesus over and over calls God, approaches God as Father, and that is significant. There's relationship. There's affection as Jesus prays this prayer. But listen, there's also authority. Look at the verses. Verse 21, he says, he's Lord of heaven and earth. He's sovereign over everything. Verse 22, all things have been handed over to Jesus. And so God is in charge of all of creation, and he gives Jesus the keys. He hands all authority over to Jesus, that he's a loving authority. He's father, but he's in control of all things. He's strong, he's mighty, but he's also loving and affectionate. And at the end of verse 22, I really, I really want you to look at this because I think sometimes we, we get lost in this. He says it's in this authority, he chooses to reveal the Father. Do you see that? He chooses to reveal the Father. And sometimes as we talk about God choosing, I know because I talk to many of you and I talk to other people and I felt this way in my own life. Anytime we see that in, in Scripture, sometimes we, we get caught up in, okay, well, who does God choose? Did he choose me? Maybe some of you are new to church and you're thinking, I want to know God. Well, well, did God choose to reveal himself to me? I mean, what about my my cousin? Did did God choose to reveal himself to him? He doesn't know God. What's going to happen with that? And my brother, like, did God choose to reveal himself to you? And you need to know we get off the rails and miss the whole point of what it means that God chooses. That that we should sit back and see this, this text, even just this one and many others in the Bible, and be in awe that God would choose anyone. 
that in our sin, in our rebellion, we turned away from God, we said we know better than you do, God, and we went our own way, and that God in his grace and his mercy, he, he chooses to reveal himself. And look at that word, choose. It's that he desires, he wants to do this. You see, this verse could have went a couple of different ways. He could have said this. He, said, he could have said the son is required to reveal him. He could have said the son is obligated to reveal him. He doesn't say that. He said the son chooses to reveal him. It's his desire for you to know him. He's coming after you, not because he's obligated to, not because he's required to, but because he wants you. That should give you joy. It shouldn't point you to confusion. Listen, you don't know how that works anyway, and neither do I because we're finite and he's infinite. He's sovereign. You don't need to try to figure out, well, who does God choose and how does that all work? You need to be thanking God, just like Jesus is, that he's chosen you, that he's choosing people. He's coming to get you. And we need to pray that he comes and gets more of us. My hope for you is that you would reframe the way you see this word God chooses. Ephesians 1 says it's according to the kind intention of his will that he does this. That should give you joy. We never see in scripture, well, God has to. Well, God felt really bad. And so he, he came and talked to you. No, God chooses. It's the kind intention of his will. He graciously reveals himself to you because he wants to. Do you believe that? That should give us joy. That's what gave Jesus joy. And it's as he looks at this loving authority that God brings together perfectly authority and accessibility. He says, Father, five times, but he's talking about the Lord, the creator, who's handed him the keys to the whole universe, that he's a loving father. The very next chapter, we're in Luke 10, the very next chapter, Luke 11, the disciples ask how they should pray. What's the first thing that Jesus says? Do you know the Lord's Prayer? What's the first thing that Jesus says? Our Father. So God is the perfect combination of authority and accessibility. He's a loving Father who comes after us, and that's what gives Jesus joy as he talks to them. You see, God is everything a father should be. He's loving enough to listen. He's powerful enough to take care of all your needs. And listen, get this. He's wise enough to know when and how to do all of that. Right? Some of you don't have joy in God. You have frustration with God because you want some things in life. You have some needs in your life that you want God to meet in this moment in this way. And you need to know God is more loving than that. He's stronger than that, that he knows better than you do. And so he's going to orchestrate your life, and he's going to love to listen to you because he loves you. And he's strong enough to meet your needs, and so he's going to do that, but he's going to orchestrate it according to his time and his plan because he's the perfect father. He's loving, he's strong, and he's wise. And that should give us joy. It gives Jesus joy to address God the Father like this. And so I want you to ask yourself right now, in this moment, do you see God this way? It's important, right? How do you see God? Do you see God as Jesus sees the Father? Because our perspective shapes our practice. 
right? Many of you, as we talk about prayer, you think, this isn't exciting. I mean, we get a prayer guide. I mean, I, I don't know how to pray. I mean, this isn't exciting for me. I feel guilty about my prayer life. And, and let me just ask you a question. Could it be that you feel that way and you have that emotion within you? You're not joyful about prayer because you see God the wrong way. Your perspective needs to be changed so your practice can be changed. That many of you see God as a, as a distant, far-off judge, not a loving father. That many of you, even the word father, you, you think, well, I, I had a father. Is he like that? I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to pray first to that guy. Your perspective needs to change because God is not your earthly father. God is not a distant judge. He's a loving authority. He's in control of all things, and yet he chooses to come to you, to listen to you, to meet your needs, to be wise enough to know how and when to do that precisely. Listen, as you begin to see God the Father like Jesus sees God the Father, that should give you joy. You should want to talk to him that he created everything, that he's sustaining everything, and he's inviting you into that process. If you don't know God, you need to know it's impossible to have that kind of joy because everyone is not his child, right? Maybe even some people in this room. You can't call God Father because you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet. You see, what happens for us is Jesus was the son of God, right? He could call God Father. But what happens is Jesus lives the perfect life that we could never live. He dies the death in our place for our sin. He rises and defeats sin, death, and the grave. And he invites us to be adopted. Ephesians 1 talks about that as well. To be adopted into this family. And then, because of no merit of our own, only by his grace, we can call God Father. That when God sees you, if you have done that in this room right now, when God sees you, he doesn't see you. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, you can call him Father. Therefore, you can go to him in your car. You can pray to him right now. But if you don't know God in that way, you can't call him Father. And you can't get joy from that. So listen, if you don't know Jesus, you need to stop listening to me and start talking to God the Father and place your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Psalm 34 says this. It says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry." That when you do that, if you've done that, God wants to hear from you. He sees you as righteous. He wants you to call him Father. And so we get a joy just like Jesus because he graciously reveals himself, because we can call him loving Father, authority in our lives, that that's what you walk into. If you know Jesus, I invite you to do that if you haven't. If you do, I invite you to take advantage of that and take full access of that. What Jesus does next is he turns back to the disciples and he tells them, this should give you joy. Just in case they don't realize it, just in case you don't realize it yet, this should give us joy as well and not just Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus turns to the, to the disciples and says, blessed. That word blessed in the original language literally means a disposition of happiness. So happy are the eyes that see what you see. He goes on to say to hear 
what you hear. He says the prophets and the kings wanted to see this, but you get to. You get to take part in this. And listen, you need to know, many of you come to church as a routine. Maybe, maybe many of you have been distant from the, the church because you see it as a dry re- religion, as a ritual that you do to get in good standing with God. And you're wondering, how could this be a joyful thing? How could God say, Jesus say in this moment, happy? Happy are the eyes that see this. Happy are the ears that hear this. Because when you think about God, when you think about Jesus, you think about a religion and a ritual. You need to know that couldn't be further from the truth. That over and over in Scripture, God commands you to delight in him. It's a command. Just being obedient to God means that we're joyful in him. Why? Because God set it up that way. It's not cold religion. It's not a ritual that we do to be in good standing with God. It's a celebration of what Jesus has already done on our behalf. That when we realize he did die that death, he took all of God's wrath upon himself and he rose again and defeated that, when we realize that's Christianity, that's church, that's what it means to know God, that should give us joy. That we get to see that and hear that, that should give us joy. Now, we don't get to see it, see it and hear it like the disciples did, right? We weren't there walking with Jesus. And so maybe you think, well, if I would have been, maybe I'd have more joy. If I really got to see it with my own eyes and hear it with my own ears, maybe I would have more joy. But listen, you have it way better, right? The disciples, Luke 10, they don't fully comprehend what Jesus is even going to do. They don't know the end of the story. Even as they see Jesus die, they're saddened because they don't know at first if he's going to rise again. You do. You know the whole story, the meta-narrative of Scripture. You can see the Old Testament and how it connects to the New Testament and how Jesus is the pinnacle of everything that we hope in. That should give us joy when you see that and when you hear that. Will you choose to see it and will you choose to hear it? So how do we live this out? I want to give you just a few things, steps you can take to to begin to live this out so your perspective does go into your practice in your prayer life. The first question I want to ask you is, how do you enjoy God? You're commanded to enjoy him. If you have a different perspective of God and it's caused you, every time you think about God, you have sorrow, guilt, and shame, you need to reexamine, do I know the God of Scripture? And you need to read it. Do you enjoy God? Psalm 1 says, blessed, that same word, happy is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. May I submit to you, if you don't enjoy God, maybe you're not meditating on his word. Maybe you just have assumptions about who God is, misconceptions about who God is, but you haven't actually looked at who God is, so you don't enjoy him. You can't. How do you enjoy God? Do you meditate on his word? Do you get with other believers and celebrate what God is doing and have other people in your blindness where you don't see God moving, have other people point out, well, you know this happened. Well, you know this person. You know you got this in the mail, and they point out how you can enjoy God. How do you enjoy God? Have you even considered that? Or has it become just a ritual in your life? The second half of that question, which is not up there, is what robs you of your joy in God? Because here's what I know, as many of us read scripture and we gain information and we know a lot, it doesn't always lead to our joy. 
You need to know that's the goal. What, what robs you of your joy? That's the goal. I know for me, it's worry. There are times where I get lost in worry. I worry about my life. I worry about our kids. I worry about our church. And before I know it, I have no joy in God. I have a lot of stress. I have a lot of anxiety. I have a lot of worry, but I don't have joy. What is that for you? What robs you of your joy? What sin in your life? What lust, what greed, what pride is robbing you of your joy? Because it's getting in the way of knowing who God is. What is that for you? What gives you joy in God? What robs you of your joy in God? And then the last thing is, how do you tell God and others about your joy? If you just see a rhythm of Jesus in this passage, it's this. Enjoy God, talk to God, and talk to others about God. Enjoy God, talk to God, and then talk to others about that joy in God. That's what you see in Jesus as he rejoices and then immediately talks to God. He prays first. That's what you see in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. That's no mistake, right? That we should, when we are rejoicing, whatever has taken place in your life, whatever you look at in Scripture, however you realize you're a child of God and you rejoice, you need to tell God that. And you need to tell others about that joy. I want to give you just a couple tools to do that before we leave. One is this prayer guide. Uh, The first five pages of this are prayers of joy for this week for you to read. Written by people in our church. That you would read these. You would personalize them. You would talk to God about your joy. There's another acronym that could help you in terms of prayer. If you've never really prayed before, you're not sure how to do it. There's an acronym called ACTS. It's Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. That you would start off your day just in adoration. Good morning, Lord. Thank you that your mercies are new today. Thank you that I have life and breath. Adoration. Confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You'd pray for other people. That you would use this as a tool of how to talk to God about your joy and talk to others about your joy as well. The next thing, we have a slide on the screen to show you, but it's, it's, it's this prayer app called Echo. Uh, I came across this this week. It's done by a church in California. I don't want to get any kickbacks for this, right? No royalties. It's free. Uh, But I just came across it. I downloaded it. It was really helpful. It helps you put categories for prayer. Uh, It helps you have reminders for prayer. It helps you uh, check off a box and talk about how God answered that prayer and just organize your prayer life. It's just a tool. Maybe some of you are more spiritual than me, right? And you just pray naturally and pray for all the people in your life naturally. I don't. I need some help with that. If you need some help with that, it's free. It's an easy way. You can go to the iTunes store or whatever your phone is and download this app to help you pray. So you can talk to Jesus and talk to God about how you enjoy him and talk to other people as well. These are just tools to get to praying our joy in our lives. As we close, this this sermon, this series has been really convicting for me. In fact, I'm preaching to myself all the way through this. Because I need to pray first in my life. In my worry that I mentioned, oftentimes what I do is talk to my wife or talk to somebody else or listen to the radio and hope it goes away. But I don't pray first. We need to pray first in our joy in every situation in life. I need that. Because here's what I know about us and here's what I know about me. If I don't pray and when I don't pray, I quickly move to self-sufficiency and pride. 
I began to slowly put back that lens on that I had before I knew Jesus, and I put back that lens on that I know best. My ways are best. And so I need to pray and humbly submit myself to God and say, I I don't. That's what prayer does for us. Because listen, as you build your life, you're not building your life according to your plans for your glory. No, Jesus is building your life according to his plans for his glory. So guess what? You might want to talk to him about how that's going to work out. You might want to talk to him about what you should do in your life and your decisions, even in your joy. If he's the one orchestrating it, you might want to speak with him, right? That's all that prayer is, is talking to God. Our church, we're two years into this thing. We are not building our church according to our plans for our glory. Jesus is building his church according to his plans for his glory. Amen? And so we need to talk to him about it. We need to take this month, these four weeks, to fast from something else so we can pray and talk to God in our joy, in our pain, in our need, in our confusion. Will you take that step with me? Will you humble yourself? Look at this prayer God. Use one of these tools. Start somewhere. That we get joy from praying. We go to God in our joy as we pray. Let's do that together. Let's commit that this will be a month where we draw close to God in our joy. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the joy that you give us in knowing you, that you are a loving authority. You have graciously revealed yourself to us. And God, that we would take advantage of that this morning. God, I pray for the Christians in this room, the men and women who showed up here this morning and maybe are distracted, maybe don't have joy right now, maybe they're complaining, maybe they're bitter, maybe they're jealous, maybe they're insecure, whatever the case may be as they walk in here, God, I pray that you would reframe that this morning, that you would encourage us, challenge us to repent of that, that we would find our joy in you. We have so many reasons to find our joy in you. You have adopted us. We can call you Father. Help us approach you that way, not just in a set time like this, not just in a moment of crisis, but in conversation all the days of our lives, all the moments of our lives. God, I pray that we would be a people of prayer. And God, I also pray just for the men and women in this room who can't call you Father. God, I pray that in this moment they would stop listening to me and start talking to you and place their trust in Jesus Christ so that they can, in this moment, go to you for the first time, call you Father, and you are attentive to their cry. God, we pray for your help as you help our prayer lives grow and change in this season as you move in a mighty way in our church. It's in the name of Jesus we pray that. Amen.